Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, it is my joy to bring God's word to us tonight. Uh, First of all, I have a question for you, okay? This is an important question, so I need your participation. By the way, before I forget this, uh, Davis is going to be staying at Jesse's house this summer. How cool is that? So <laughs> it's going to be his house. Okay, now back to the message. Okay, um, so what is the best sequel? Okay, so, so, I, um, so we're going to do a little voting between one, two, three, and four. What is the best sequel? Okay. You got your pick? You got your pick? How many people would say Spider-Man Far From Home is the best? Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes. Yes. My son would agree with you. He came home and said, that is the best movie I've ever seen. Okay. 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 How about uh, Frozen 2? Oh, wow. More votes than I anticipated. It's good, but okay. All right, Jesse's on that one. Okay, um, how about High School Musical 2? Whoa, you've got to be kidding me. No way, no way, no way. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I see you. Okay, how about Avengers Endgame? The loudest and the proudest. I don't know. I don't know how to call it. I think maybe Avengers win. I don't know. Yeah. Can I tell you? What the best sequel ever is? Can I tell you what the best sequel ever is? Are you guys ready for this? Get ready. The Book of Acts, baby! Boom! (laughs) The Book of Acts. That's the best sequel ever right there. You're like, that doesn't make sense to me. You're right, it's going to make sense. Just a second. Hang in there. So last week, we finished a series called Resistance, where we looked at the three enemies of the soul— the world, the flesh, and the devil. We spent a week on each of them and looked at um, how to resist these enemies that seek to bring destruction in our world and in our lives. What we're going to do for the rest of the semester is we're going to change gears and we're not going to look at how to resist. We're going to look at the way forward, okay? How, how do we move forward in the gospel? How does the gospel move forward in our world? And we are going to be doing a series for the rest of the semester in the book of Acts, the best sequel ever. By the way, um, I love the book of Acts. In 20 years, I've only spoken through the book of Acts one time, one time. So, it is time, baby. It's time. Okay, here we are. Um, The book of Acts is a unique book in in all the Bible, and here's the reason why. It is the only book that tells us how the gospel went from uh, Jesus' resurrection ascension to literally to the ends of the earth. And so, um, what we're going to look at as we study the book of Acts, we're going to go on the journey and see how did that happen? What was the key then, and what is the key now for the gospel to go forward So actually what I'm going to do, by the way, could you imagine if we didn't have the book of Acts? I mean, imagine if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, took Acts out, and then you had Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. You'd be like, what happened? How'd the gospel go to Rome and Corinth and Ephesus? And you'd be like, and who's Paul, right? And so this, it's a very unique book that has a very strategic place 
in the Bible, and it's a really powerful book. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to show you the last verse of the entire book of Acts. So it's kind of like giving away the, the end game. Sorry. Um, uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm here all night. Okay, all right. Um, so we're going to look at the last verse, and then we're going to work our way back to the very beginning and, and look at chapter 1 tonight. Okay, so here's the very last verse of the book of Acts. You guys ready for this? He, being Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, Paul is in Rome, the city that is the most important city of the world in that day, kind of the, the, the centerpiece city of the ancient world. And the Bible says that Paul is in Rome with all boldness and speaking the gospel without hindrance. In other words, the gospel is moving forward in power. However, Paul's in prison. But that is the last verse. Because here is what Luke wants you to get. That the gospel made it and it is moving forward in power in Rome. So how does this happen? How does it go from 120 people who are largely from a a rural area called Galilee and then penetrate to the very center of of the city of power of the world and go forward without hindrance, it says. How does that happen? Well, that's the journey we're gonna go on this semester and learn some powerful things about how it, goes, how it went forward then and how it goes forward today. So we're in for quite a ride. Let me give you a little background to the book of Acts as we launch into this series. First of all, it's written by, uh, by a man by the name of Luke. By the way, if I asked you who wrote most of the New Testament, more of the New Testament than anyone else, who would you say? You'd be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I set you up on that one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, bro. I owe you. Okay. Um, but you said it bold and proud. Do you know that if you put all the words, now I'm not talking about how many letters, just the sheer volume of what was written, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else in the New Testament. He wrote, okay, so let me tell you a little bit about Luke. You're like, huh, that's intriguing. No one ever told me that. Let me tell you a little bit about Luke. Luke was a doctor. Okay. Luke was a doctor. And, um, it's likely he was a Gentile. It's disputed by some. Some people think he was just a Hellenistic Jew, but um, likely he was, he was a Gentile. And so some of the themes he picks up may be because of that. Um, also, because of Luke's Greek and the way he wrote, the vocabulary he used, you can tell Luke was an intellectual man. He was writing probably to an intellectual audience, Theophilus, who is called most excellent Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke. So probably Theophilus was a Roman ruler, so it was written by a very educated man to a very educated audience. And this is what's surprising. Luke has a unique fascination and focus in both of his books. And his unique fascination and focus is the Holy Spirit. In fact, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit more than any of the other gospel writers, almost combined. And in the book of Acts, he mentions the Holy Spirit 57 times in 28 chapters. It's literally, literally, the Holy Spirit is mentioned on every page of the book of Acts. Here's the reason why I love that, because I've been at UVA for 21 years. And we're intellectual here, right? 
<laughs> Jesse was a classics major. He was an intellectual. Okay. Here's what I know. Paul, the intellectual, was fascinated and focused on the work of the Holy Spirit, and he modeled something to us, that to be intellectual doesn't mean you have to leave the Holy Spirit behind. But that these two, being intellectually astute and very sensitive and fascinated and open to the work of the Holy Spirit, actually go together all the way back to the early church in the Gospel of Luke and Acts. These are not opposed to each other, like many people may want to um, propose. So let me tell you a little bit more about Luke and Acts. Uh, Luke, it was, Luke and Acts probably went together originally, but why are they two separate books, and why is there John in the middle? Well, I'm not sure how John, well, I, maybe I do, but anyways, um, here's, how, here's how it worked. Uh, in that day, they would write on papyrus scrolls, and a, a papyrus scroll was typically about 35 feet of papyrus, and as you can imagine, if it gets lar- larger than, you know, 35 feet, you're going to have to check that bad boy. You know, you can't carry it on. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's, it's going to be a little bit larger. And so what you have is, it's basically two scrolls, the scroll of Acts, or Luke and the scroll of Acts that were literally meant to go together, but because of the way our Bible is organized, we have the Gospel of John in between. And so what we need to understand is they, it literally is the sequel of the story of Jesus progressing through the early church. Now, with that in mind, let's read the very first verses of the book of Acts. Acts 1, 1. We're going to read the first three verses. Here we go. In my former book, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Okay, so where he left off, he's now picking up. And I want to look at verse 1. Here's what it says. My former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, and what does the next word say? Began to do and to teach began to do. In other words, the ministry of Jesus that he wrote about in the, in the gospel of Luke that ends with the resurrection and then ascension was just the beginning of what Jesus taught and did. In fact, here I got a quote for you um, from I. Howard Marshall, New Testament scholar from Scotland. He said this, the gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and to teach. Acts relates what he continued to do and teach through the agency of his witnesses. In other words, the gospel of Luke was just the beginning. When you read the gospel of Luke and, what, and the miracles that Jesus did and the healings that he performed and the things that he taught, it was just the beginning. He's still teaching. He's still healing. He's still doing mir- miraculous things. How? Through the witnesses that were behind, let, that, um, we're left behind, not left behind in a, in a in testament. Or, you know what I'm saying, right? That remained, there's the word, that remained. It was just the beginning, Luke says. I wrote to you what he began to do. And the implication is he's still doing it in the book of Acts. He continues to do it. So how did Jesus do what he did? How did he 
do his ministry when he was on earth? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading verse 2. It says this, Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit. How did he teach? Through the Holy Spirit. How did he do his ministry? Through the Holy Spirit. What I'd like to do is take you on a, since we're in the sequel, let's go back to the original, the Gospel of Luke. And I want to take you on a little journey as Jesus is introduced to us and his ministry is introduced to us. Um, So we're going to hop to his baptism. You guys remember his baptism? If you read the Gospel of Luke, his baptism is in chapter 3. So let's go ahead and go to that. Here's what it says. This is Jesus' baptism. As he was being baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. In other words, what Luke is saying is, this happened when Jesus was about 30 years old, and it marked the beginning of his ministry. Let me state the obvious. This was not Jesus being born again. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit of a virgin birth. He did not need to be born again. He was spiritually alive. He lived a sinless life. He was born generated. He wasn't, a, he wasn't degenerate. Does that make sense? He was spiritually alive. What this is, is the Spirit coming upon him to anoint him for his ministry on earth. So how will he do his teaching? Through the Holy Spirit. How will he do his ministry? Under the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he was called the Messiah. Do you know what Messiah meant? Literally, the anointed one, the one that the Spirit would come upon, and then he would do his ministry under the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Luke starts here. Then he goes, he goes to a genealogy, and chapter 4 starts here. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why is that important? Because Luke doesn't want you to miss what's changed. Now, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's being, think of a full sail being driven by the Holy Spirit. He's being, he's being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit is guiding and leading and empowering his life. You're like, wait a second. I thought Jesus was the Son of God. You're right. The Son of God. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. That he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he submitted himself and lived as a human being submitted to the Father who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, the Spirit's empowering him. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Holy Spirit. And then next... Right after the temptations in the wilderness, Jesus returned to Galilee. How? In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the countryside. In other words, what has changed is the power of the Spirit is on his life. And then Jesus immediately goes into Nazareth to the synagogue. And he grabs a scroll, scroll of Isaiah. And he unrolls it to a passage that was known to be a messianic prophecy. And he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And for sake of time, I'm not reading the whole thing. But Jesus goes in there. He reads it. Everybody knows this is about the Messiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And then he 
rolls up the scroll, he puts it away, and then he says this, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Whoa. I would like to, so how did Jesus do his ministry? He did it under the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'd like to show you how the book of Luke maps with the book of Acts. I'm just going to show you a piece of it. We're not going to look at the whole thing right now. But the story of Jesus starts with his birth and it culminates in the first section of Luke with his baptism. Immediately after his baptism, we just looked at how he said, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy. After that, then you see the proofs that the Spirit's power is on his life. Okay, move over to the book of Acts. How does the book of Acts start? With the anointing and the empowerment of God's people on the day of Pentecost. What happens at the day of Pentecost? Peter says, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Then what do you have? Chapters 3 and moving forward, you have the fulfillment, the the proof that the power of the Spirit was on the, the disciples. And what you see is the gospel literally explodes in the Spirit's power. And Luke is mapping these so you can understand how the gospel moves forward. Okay. What I'd like to do is, uh, well, let's read verse 4 through 8. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he being Jesus, he gave them this command. Okay, it wasn't a suggestion. <laughs> it was a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, how is your kingdom going to go forward? How is this going to be, how's it going to be all restored? And Jesus answers them in a different way. He says this, It is not for you to know the time and date the Father is set on his, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, Jesus did his ministry, all he began to do and to teach through the power of the Holy Spirit. How will Jesus continue to do his ministry? We see in verse 8 that he's going to put his spirit upon his disciples and they will be, receive power when the spirit comes upon them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, that verse, verse 8, sets the agenda for the rest of the book of Acts. How does that, how does that work? Because you'll see the gospel go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We just read, unhindered in Rome. So it sets the agenda. Let me uh, give you a quote from my favorite theologian, Gordon Fee. He helped, anybody here have the NIV version? He helped translate your version, okay? So he's a world-class scholar. He says this, The Spirit is ultimately responsible for every major turning point in the narrative. 
Christ, the great bearer of the Spirit, is also the great baptizer in the Spirit so that others can receive the Spirit and thus bear witness to Christ. It is therefore not surprising that at every turn, the Spirit is the driving force behind the forward movement of the gospel. How does the gospel go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit? Every turn, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... This is fascinating to me. When I read chapter 1, I'm always amazed. And here's what amazes me. He tells his disciples not to go anywhere. He commands them to. He says, no, you're going to stay in Jerusalem until you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, well, that's really interesting. Because... The disciples had the best, can we agree with this? They had the best discipleship anybody ever had. And can we agree with that? Okay, I mean, let's put it together. They were on the front row of the Sermon on the Mount. A front row. They were in the boat when Jesus said, be still. And they're like, oh my goodness, who is this man, right? They saw the man with legions of demons be set free, and 2,000 pigs run into the river. They saw a woman who was hopeless healed in a moment. They saw dead people get up out of a grave. If that's not enough, they saw Jesus die, then they saw him alive. And then he taught them for 40 days. And so they could like ask the questions, like, can you tell me what that was all about? You know. I think I'm missing a few things. And and so they could ask him questions. They saw everything on the front row. And then Jesus says, don't go anywhere. Okay, here's the point. Their discipleship was important and valuable. Okay, otherwise Jesus wouldn't spend three years doing that. But here's what else we know. It wasn't sufficient by itself. Jesus says, If you are going to fulfill the mission that I have for you, your intellect isn't enough, your savvy isn't enough, your giftedness isn't enough. I know you could get in UVA, but that ain't enough. Your uh, camaraderie isn't enough. Your resources aren't enough. Your experience isn't enough. Your connections aren't enough. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way the gospel will go from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth will be in the Spirit's power. So he said, do not go anywhere yet. Whoa. You know what else is? So that's really fascinating, isn't it? Because it's kind of like you graduated from UVA and you got your degree. And you're like, okay, I'm ready. He's like, you're not ready yet. Here's what else is fascinating to me. They didn't argue with him. They're like, no, Jesus. Like, I got Sermon on the Mount. You want me to tell it to you? I got it. And like, we, we've seen you do a lot of things. We've actually done a couple things ourselves. Like, no, they didn't argue with him. Because you know why they didn't argue? Because they knew he was right. Okay, let's think about this. There were 120 of them. In Palestine alone, it's estimated by uh, George Wood, Dr. George Wood, he said this, there's probably about 4 million people in Palestine alone. Okay, so I was doing some math. That meant there was one believer, one follower of Jesus for every 33,000 people in Palestine alone. 
if I can put that in perspective, that would be one believer for UVA. But he didn't say go to Palestine alone, did he? He said to the ends of the earth. So in the Roman Empire in that time, it's estimated there are 250 million people. So I did a little math. And that's about one believer for every two million people. Um, They knew they were over their head. They knew going around reciting things alone wasn't enough. They knew they better have the power of the Holy Spirit that can change somebody's hearts or otherwise they had no hope. But oh, what about their learning? What about... No. I would suggest that we are still in need of the Spirit's power ourselves as well. If the gospel will move forward, if the kingdom of God will move forward, it will not be because you're so smart. It won't be because you work so hard. It will be because the power of the Spirit is at work. Um, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of a story, the stories of Jesse. Jesse was on a a launch team in in Egypt. And this particular day, they're having a a training on how do you plant the church where the church is not. And they had a a board full of different categories of all the things they've been learning for hours and hours of these different lectures. And and, uh, Dick who was leading it, gave them post-it notes. I don't know if you remember this, Jesse. Gave them post-it notes and said, write everything you know about planting the church where it is not among unreached people groups on post-it notes. And so then he had them write all their post notes out. And he said, okay, now what you, here's what I want you to do. Great educational tool. I want you to take them and put them under the different categories of where do they fit in the categories. So everybody there got the post notes, put them under the categories. This goes under... This category of church planning. This goes under this category of church planning. This goes under this category of church planning. So everybody had their post-it notes up on the board. And then Dick asked, asked the question. He says, what do you see? And Jesse raises his hand. Dick says, yeah, Jesse, what do you see? He said, and this is a quote from Dick, okay? Because Dick said, you got to hear this story. Okay. He said, I call on Jesse, what do you see? And Jesse raised his hand, he says... 1,400 years of Islam, and we have post-it notes on the wall. That's what I see. Why is that such a profound statement? As much as that learning was valuable, as much as the strategy matters, what Jesse was pointing to is strategy alone is not enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I don't care where we're at, we live in a world that is dominated by the forces of darkness, where the wickedness of the flesh is present, where the tides of the world are strong, and that means whether you're at the University of Virginia or you're in Tunis, Tunisia, you need the power of the Holy Spirit if the gospel is going to go forward. And so here's the question that I have. Will we 
with humble and hungry hearts. Say, Jesus, will you empower me with your spirit? Okay, like, that's where it starts. Or are we going to say, I got, I got other ways. Let me read the rest of this passage. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up. Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly, two men dressed in white, if it couldn't get any more bizarre, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Where did you come from? Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Which I find to be a hilarious question. What do you mean, why am I standing looking into the sky? Because I just saw a man levitate. (laughs) I mean, excuse me if I have slack jaw, okay? Like, can I take this in for a moment? John, did you see that? Thomas is like, I don't believe it. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't in the notes. It wasn't in the notes. Okay. Oh, anyways. Why? Why? Because, because he just, a man just ascended into the clouds. That's why I'm looking up. And the angels say this. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. I just think, what an important moment for the disciples. Okay, is this, if this is outside of your box, I get it. It was outside of theirs too. Right? I mean, they, were, they found it as unbelievable as you. That's why they were looking up. An angel had to say, would you stop looking? Here's the point. They needed that moment. Because they needed to see their king ascend. They needed to see their king ascend because they are going to face opposition. And they need to have etched in their minds that they watched their king ascend into heaven. And he is the risen king, the ascended king, and nothing will stop his kingdom. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what we get as we, as we read through the, uh, through the book of Acts. Let me just give you a, a quick rundown. We're going to hit this later throughout the semester. But nothing will stop his kingdom as he reigns as the risen, ascended king in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what, 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 what won't stop it. Not hostile Jewish leaders won't stop it. Not the martyrdom of Stephen will stop his kingdom. Not Saul of Tarsus bent on destroying the church will stop it. Not powerful secular leaders like Herod will stop it. Not hostile riotous uprisings will stop it. Not shipwrecks or poisonous snakes will stop it. As we watch the, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, nothing can stop their ascended king in the power of the Spirit establishing his kingdom and it ends in Rome unhindered. And this moment where they saw their king ascend into heaven was etched in their minds. And so when suffering and opposition came, they knew 
They knew that the one they saw who was glorious and great and preeminent, who, who ascended, was one day going to come back and make all things new. Now we read this like they're just Bible characters. But they were like fishermen with calluses on their hands and tax collectors who had been transformed. These were real people. And here's what they did. Jesus said, if the gospel is going to go forward, it's going to go forward in the Spirit's power. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. So you know what they did? They waited. And they opened their heart to the Holy Spirit. And these guys, if, you know, if you were looking for people to turn the world upside down, you would not have picked them. They were ordinary people from a rural, blue-collar town in Galilee. But when you add the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit on ordinary, blue-collar people from Galilee, in 30 years, they turned the world upside down. And so I just have this question. Will you open your heart to the Holy Spirit? You're like, well, you know, I'm so ordinary. That's the point. So were they. Would you say, okay, I want that. I want the Spirit to empower me. So the gospel can go forward here. Because here's what I know. What God has for you, and th this means whether you're a missionary, whether you're, you're an architect living for the glory of God, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether you're an engineer, wherever you are, what God has for you, I can tell you this. You cannot do it in your own power, and your own strength. But if you open your life to the power of the Holy Spirit and say, fill me with your spirit. Baptize, baptize me, immerse me in your spirit. Then all bets are off. Can I tell you a prayer that I pray probably more often than any other prayer for my own life? Father, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Anoint me afresh with your spirit. That's a prayer that I probably pray for my own life more than any other prayer. Is for more of the Spirit's work in my life. And so I ask you, will you join me with that prayer? I have the worship team come up. I have two questions. Will you open your heart to the Spirit tonight and ask Jesus for more of the Spirit's power in your life? Here's what I know. Every follower of Jesus has been born again. You have the Spirit inside of you. But I also know this, that God wants to pour out his spirit upon you to empower you. 
And then secondly, that's the source of our power. Secondly is this, do you have a great, glorious, and preeminent view of Jesus because that is our hope? And as I was preparing this, I just thought some people are facing some big stuff and you need to see the the ascended Christ tonight and have a high and glorious view because that's where your hope will come, come from. The one that they saw ascend is coming back. And he is the king now. Ruling how? How is he ruling his kingdom? Through the work of the Spirit, empowering his people. So we're going to close tonight. We're going to sing a song. But my hope is, as we close, we sing more than just a song, but we open our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, will you pour out your Spirit upon me? And it literally will make all the difference in the world. Will you stand with me? Father, as we close with this song tonight, I want to pray a simple prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation we may know you better know the glorious hope to which we've been called. Lord, I pray that you would increase the Spirit's work in our lives. You would empower us with the Spirit, that you would clothe us with power from on high, that you would, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us, empower us to be witnesses. We confess with humility that we need your Spirit. And with a hungry heart, We open our hearts and we say, more of your spirit, King Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.